Today we want to continue in our This Is Us series as we talk about families and a lot of the aspects of family life. But I wanted to begin by telling you a little incident. It may be apocryphal, but it sounds cool. Uh, There were a couple of ladies who were sitting on their front porch one summer evening in their rocking chairs just having a glass of tea. And uh, one lady was listening intently to the sound of the crickets chirping. Just thinking back to memories of her childhood and summer evenings. Just, just a wonderful thing for her. The other lady was also listening, but she was listening to something else. There's a little church across the street, and they were having choir practice that evening. And she was listening to the, to the choir sing. And she chimed in as they sat there and both listened. She said, oh, isn't that just heavenly music? And the other woman said, oh, yes, it really, really is. And I understand that they make that noise by rubbing their legs together. Would you please turn to the person next to them at you and explain it to them? Okay. What we had there was a failure to communicate. And what we want to talk about today is that very thing, communication. You may be astounded to find out just how much God has to say about communicating. That is speaking and hearing, but also understanding, because there is no communication without understanding. Uh, I discovered that every time I go down to the Dominican Republic. I only pick up, I only have a few words in Spanish that I can speak. I mean, once you get past hola, I'm about done. Um, And then there are those who are are there in the Dominican Republic who speak pretty good English and we can carry on conversations and and that works and I can pick out words here and there. But occasionally it's it's me alone with someone who only speaks Spanish and they're very patient and, uh, and, and we try, we struggle to communicate and we pick up a word here or there, but we're both able to speak and we're both able to hear, but it's the understanding that's the problem. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't have to be two different languages that creates a lack of understanding. You can both be speaking English, you can both be hearing English, and still not be understanding one another. And that's what we want to share today, and some of you have already had that experience this morning as you were getting ready for church, right? Communication is vital to every relationship. When I do premarriage counseling, for instance, one of the things we talk about often is communication, because communication really fits into just about every category that we talk about. When we're talking about finances in the family, guess what? We're talking about communication. When we're talking about child rearing, we're talking about communication. When we're, when we're talking about intimacy, we're talking about communication. Nearly everything that we talk about ties back to being able to hear, to speak, to hear, and to understand someone else. When I talk to parents about their kids, do you know what parents tell me about their kids? My kids don't listen to me. And when I talk to kids about parents, you know what the kids say? Surprise, my parents don't listen to me. And so what we discover is that within relationships, and this is all relationships, husband, wife, parent, child, brother, sister, relationships you have in your office, relationships you have in your small group, relationships you have with your social groups, it doesn't matter. It's all about being able to communicate in a way that actually ends up strengthening the relationship rather than tearing it apart. So what does God have to say about it? Here's the thing. If I told you everything that God had to say about communicating, we'd be here a long, long time. One of the comments I I saw that was posted about 
Caleb's message was that it was concise and to the point. And I said, you know, I've never had that about Jimmy's messages. I've never seen that. So I'll try to be a little concise, a little to the point by not sharing everything that God has to say about how we are to communicate. But I do think it's important for us to understand that whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, God is really, really concerned about this. And so let me just run through a few verses with you, and I'll put them up on the screen for your edification here. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, we read, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 16, 24, Proverbs has a lot to say about this. Gracious words are like a honeycomb sweetness to the soul and health to the body proverbs 15 1 a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger in matthew chapter 12 we read these words from jesus make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit you brood of vipers How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Boy, if you don't get anything else today, would you get that? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What comes out of your mouth has its roots in your heart. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Why? Because they're attached to your heart. And then finally, in James chapter 1, verse 26, we read, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight ring on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion." is worthless now this is just a small slice a tip of the iceberg as to what god has to say about how we communicate how we talk and listen to other people now we caught just a glimpse of that and we want to spend some time camping out in a couple of verses this morning but we want to do it in relationship to family okay our family relationships and how communication can enhance it But I will go ahead and tell you that there's a broader implication in just about any relationship that we have. If you take these principles we talk about this morning and you take them to any relationship that you have, it will strengthen, enhance that relationship. And so we're going to look in the book of James, the first chapter, verses 19 and 20. Just a couple of verses. But I think here we will find some principles for us that we can begin to apply in our own lives. We can begin to apply today. We don't have to wait till next week. We don't have to wait till next month. We don't have to wait till next year. We don't have to wait till, you know, January 1st, a New Year's resolution. We can begin this very day to apply these in our own lives. And so let's see what God's word has to say in James chapter 1. Here it is. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger 
does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Father God, would you help us to understand this word and then to begin to apply it in our own lives, in our own families, in every relationship that we have. God, speak to us so that we can hear and then, Lord, help us to act on what you've spoken to, spoken about today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's take a look at this. First of all, it tells us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Most of us get that backwards. You ever notice that? And so it's very plain, very clear, quick to listen, slow to speak. The preeminent application of this, I did a, a series of messages on James a few weeks back, and, and the preeminent application of this certainly has to do with our relationship with God, that in our relationship with God, we need to be listening. We're told to be still and know that I'm God. And so, so many times, we're so busy talking that we never have opportunity to stop and to listen to what God has to say in our lives. That, to me, is the preeminent application. But there is a secondary and yet no less important application when it comes to our own relationships that we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. St. Francis of Assisi had a prayer that some of you know. Let me put it up here on the screen. I want you to see just a, uh, this is the prayer. Uh, I'm not going to read the entirety of it. It's printed in your handout, by the way. But it begins this way, O divine master, talking to God, as Lord, as Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. Now, hang on just a second because St. Francis has hit on something here that we need to hear. We need to get this. He says, God, help me to be as concerned, as a matter of fact, maybe more concerned about understanding what's being said to me rather than demanding that I be understood. We want to be understood, don't we? A source of a lot of our arguments, disagreements, have to do with us not feeling like we're being understood. That's just, there's something within us that, that, that there are times where we just want to shout. Maybe sometimes we do shout it. You're not understanding what I'm saying. You're not getting it. Can I confess that I've said that? I've said that. It is so, so, so frustrating. The words come out, but somehow they get lost in translation. We have a failure to communicate. And it's, it's just one of the most frustrating things in a conversation is when you're speaking, you think clearly, and yet what, you're, what they are hearing by how they respond to it, it just shows that they really do not understand what you're saying at all. Now, if it's that frustrating to you, let's take the shoes off and put them on the other feet. How frustrating must it be to your husband, your wife, your parent, your child, your coworker, your fellow person in your small group, your person in your golf group, in your bridge club, your pickleball group, whatever it is, how frustrating must it be for them when they're not being understood? Our perspective most, of, most often is, is, is in self. I'm frustrated because I'm not being understood and our concern is not, hey, are they 
Am I understanding what they're saying? Am I getting it? Am I listening? Am I hearing? One of our problems is, and and this is a problem that I have, so maybe this is Jimmy confession time. One of the problems that I have is that when I'm having a conversation, I'm not always fully attuned to what is being said. Why? Because, and this is the way I'm designed, and I understand that, and it, there, there's a design flaw somewhere going on, but uh, it, it, I kind of warp it a little bit. Somewhere along the line, I start trying to solve the problem. And so something's being told to me, and so now I'm listening with kind of half my brain, and the other half of my brain is trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to respond to this? How, what am I going to say? I'm manufacturing, creating, establishing my argument, my rebuttal, my response back. Am I the only one that does this? Okay, uh, (laughs) because you're going, no, no, it's him. Or maybe it's it's her. But this is a problem. Because when we shut off half of our brain to what's being said then we're more interested in our response than we are in truly understanding what is being said. This is difficult. This is challenging for those of us who would rather solve a problem than to listen. And that's me. Every once in a while, I have the wisdom in a discussion with Nancy to say, do you want an answer? Or do you simply want me to listen? Listen, I would be wise to do that on a daily basis. Do you want me to solve this for you? Because I I can solve this and then we can move on to something else. I can get this behind. I can tell you exactly what to do. But that's not always what she wants. As a matter of fact, most of the time, that's not what she wants. Just wants you to listen. Just wants you to hear me. Here's what she's saying. I want to be understood. You show me you love me by shutting your mouth, opening your ears, and truly trying to understand. Because without understanding, listen, without understanding, there is no communication. And so, let me give you, these, are, these don't come straight out of the Bible. These come straight out of the school of hard knocks. I want to give you some simple tips, uh, advice, encouragement on speaking and listening so that there can be understanding. And these aren't in your handouts, but I will provide these on our Facebook page and you can get access to them in other ways if you want an email of it or something like that, just let us know and we'll take care of it. But, but they're, real, they're simple, it's not rocket science, okay? First is maintain eye contact. When we, when we first started talking with Jay uh, about in, engaging with people, he would be often looking down or looking away. And one of the things we said is, son, if you, people need to know you're listening to them, and so you need to make eye contact. Um, what I've discovered is that wayward eyes often means a wayward mind. If you're looking off here, if you're looking over there, if you're focusing over here, then you may not be focusing on the conversation. You may not be hearing what I'm saying, and I may not be hearing what you're saying. 
we live in a technological age, and one of the, one of the things that we have to constantly struggle with is being distracted by cellular devices. How many of you going at, going out to lunch today? Okay, some of you going out to lunch, going to a restaurant, going somewhere where you'll, you'll sit down. Okay, I, I'm not going to pick on you, but I will ask you to be an observer of humanity today. Take a look at the tables around you. Regardless of who, who's sitting there, it may be a family, it may be a church group, whatever. But just take a look and see how much distraction that technology can cause. And I'm not saying I, we don't do this because we do this too. But if you're looking at your phone, if you're focusing on that, if you're texting, if you're checking on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, or playing a, playing a you know, candy crush or whatever it is, if you're doing all that, your brain is only half engaged, maybe even less. So just folk, just look at the distractions. Maintain an eye contact, looking at the person with whom you're talking. That makes all the difference in the world. Secondly, if you lose focus, and many of us do, then just admit it and say, hey, listen, could you repeat that? I'm sorry, I, I got distracted. Could you repeat it? Now, you think the other person's going to think less of you for that, but I will tell you this, they'll think more of you for that unless you constantly do it. But if you're able to say, listen, I'm not sure I got what you said. Could you repeat it? They will appreciate it. Uh, before you begin your response, you may need to repeat what you just heard. Um, th- this is important because if, if we don't do this, then we may, their assumptions start to be made. And so your wife comes in, she asks you a question, and you respond. Your wife may need to go, "Um, you know, I I think I just heard that you said I look fat. And you're, whoa, that is not what I said, because I understand that that is a capital offense. I didn't say that. You give an opportunity for the person to back up and say, no, that's not exactly what I meant, to clarify, or at least to get themselves out of trouble. Um... When you speak, think about not just the words you're saying, but the tone and the gestures. There's some uh, sociologists who believe that communication is only 7% of what you say and 93% of how it's said. If that's the case, then our communication is bigger than just the words that we use. Um, Don't respond to anger with anger somebody's got to be the grown-up okay and there is anger and there is frustration but when you respond to anger with anger thinking you're fighting fire with fire you're only fueling the fire somebody needs to turn down the thermostat somebody needs to pour some water on the coals and and turn the temperature down just a little bit if you're unable for whatever reason to to give your full attention then you need to just say so hey i'm watching the game right now could you give me till the commercial or hey i'm 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 engrossed in in this this chapter could you give me till i finish this chapter whatever it is just just say so you think oh that's rude so i'll just pretend like i'm listening but that is far more rude than just saying hey listen could you hold on for just a second i'll be happy to give you my full attention again 
I'm just giving you practical, simple stuff here to help you. I hope to help you in some of your relationships. Um, When you're in crowded situations or you're in things that are heavily distracting, that's not a good place to get into uh, deep conversations. Uh, It it can be really, really a a tough time to get into uh, difficult things. So you're sitting here on a Sunday morning and the singing's going on. That's not the time to turn and say, you know, uh, I've been a little concerned about our investment strategy. And again, probably that didn't happen in here this morning, but sometimes it's not our investment strategy. It's talking about an issue that we had before we left home or continuation of something, and, and that's just not the place to do it. There need, you need to be sensitive to the place and the time. Here, here are the last two, and the last two are important because if you do these Everything else is taken care of. The first is listen to your family member the way you would want to be listened to. Again, put the, put the shoe on the other foot. Listen the way you would want to be listened to. And finally, speak to your family member the way you would want to be spoken to. I guess I could have just had those two, right? If we do that, everything else would take care of itself. Listen the way you want to be listened to. Speak the way you want to be spoken to. It's not rocket science, but it's not something that comes easily to us. Because too often, we are, our human nature wants to put self ahead of everything else. That's our human nature. But God's Word calls us to something higher. This is what God's Word says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. If we could just do that, bring that into our families, bring that into our relationships, how would our families be different? Okay, let's move to the second truth that we get out of this verse, and that is to be slow to become angry. Why do we get angry? I guess we could come up with a whole long list of things of why we get angry, but let me, let me kind of condense them down into some broad categories. We, we get angry when we feel attacked or abused by another person. We get angry. We get angry when we feel powerless in a situation. This is, this is my number one. I know that I'm not in control. I know that. But when a situation gets seemed to be out of my control, seemingly then that's, that's when I get really, really frustrated, potentially angry. We, when we feel cheated by someone or by life in general, we get angry. Uh, we get angry when we don't get our way. Somehow we never fully grow out of that from our childlike state. Uh, we never fully grow out of that getting angry because we didn't get our way. Now, those are four big reasons why we get angry. There's another big reason why we get angry, but it's a little different than the other four because it has very little to do with us. We can also get angry when we see how other people are abused or mistreated or hurt or, 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 or even killed. That's our, a righteous anger. The two are, the two are different. There's still anger. But one is, is tied to self and the other is tied to things like what is right and what is just and what is true. That these, think, 
it, life ought not be this way. The first kind of anger, what's done to us. The second kind of anger is what's done to others. Now let's think about the life of Jesus. And I would challenge you as you go through and read the Gospels next time, look at how Jesus is mistreated and abused and maligned and note that he never argues back, never strikes back. He's like a lamb led to the slaughter. Kept his mouth shut. Now, it doesn't mean that he didn't, he didn't challenge the Pharisees, but notice when he challenges people, it's based on how either God is treated, his father's treated, or how other people are treated. And probably the biggest example of that is in his driving the money changers out of the temple. In John's gospel, uh, we read these words in chapter 2. He's, Jesus says, uh, when he's driving them out, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me. Okay, notice this. And let me give you just kind of briefly. Um, the market was set up in the court of the Gentiles. There are, there are certain levels that you could proceed you couldn't go any further than this. And the Gentiles kind of had the, this outer court on the Temple Mount. This is an area where they could come and pray. They could come and worship, but they couldn't go where the Jews went, okay? They, they were God-fearing Gentiles, but they, they had limits. They, I mean, under penalty of death, crossing that fence. And so they were very limited in where they could go. But there was a place that was set up for the Gentiles to come and to worship God. But the leaders of the temple had set up the market in there. What was the market? The market was a place where if you came and you didn't bring an animal for the sacrifice, you could go and you could buy an animal, a pre-approved animal, to be sacrificed. And so the court of the Gentiles had become this, this market and they were, they were exchanging money because you, you can't use Gentile money in a Jewish temple. You've got to exchange it for temple money. And so the, the money changing going on, there's all kind of animal stuff, smells and sounds going on. And can you imagine trying to worship in that environment? Can you imagine coming to come in there to pray? And this place that was designated for prayer, designated for worship, had been turned into a market. And it ticked Jesus off for two reasons. Number one, it ticked him off because the people were being abused. And number two, it ticked him off because his father was not being honored and revered. And that's what ticked Jesus off. Now let's think about us, our anger. Are we more upset about the things that anger God? And there's, listen, there are things that make God angry. War makes God angry. Abortion makes God angry. Mistreatment, racial prejudice makes God angry. All these things make God angry, and, and we should get stirred up about those things. But what typically makes us most angry? That guy that cuts us off in Atlanta traffic? That person we're pulling in, we've gone to Walmart, and we've got to make this errand, and then somebody pulls in that parking space in front of us? Someone misunderstands what we do and flips us the bird and starts cussing at us? That's the kind of stuff that makes us angry. We are most often angered because of what is done to self, not what is done to others or, or how God is treated for that matter. 
our anger is centered in self. How we think we ought to be treated, how we deserve to be treated. That's how it works in the world, but it's also how it works when we go home. We think we deserve to be treated in such and such a way. This, we deserve this. We, this, this is how it ought to be. And when it's not that way, we tend to get angry at the people in our, our home. And we think that if we can get angry, we could get our way. If I can get angry, I might not win this battle, but I set it up to win the next one. Um, many of you know that I, I'm a big North Carolina basketball fan and uh, our, our nemesis is the Duke Blue Devils and Coach Mike Krzyzewski. Now I want you to notice something. If you ever watch AC and C, ACC basketball and Duke is playing, very often after a call that, that Duke disagrees with um, and a timeout is called, Mike Krzyzewski does not go talk to his team. He lets the assistant coaches do that. He goes to get in the face of the referees. And he's yelling at them. And he's sometimes using very colorful language in order to express his opinion. What is his point? He's not going to get that call overturned. His whole purpose is the next time I want this guy to think twice about making a call like this. We need need you to flip this back over and make a call against the other team. And we go, my goodness, that seems awfully conniving. Believe me, it's planned. He knows exactly what he's doing. So do we. When we feel like we get angry enough that somehow we are going to get our way. And we learned it from the time our mother had us in the grocery store. And we screamed at the top of our lungs for a pixie stick. Until she finally gave in. Maybe it wasn't that trip. Maybe it was the next trip. When we just started to gear up a little bit. And she's like, oh, let's just shove some of this sugar in your mouth. Okay, whatever it takes to keep you quiet. That's how we feel like we're gaining the advantage. We're getting the upper hand. Our anger can be used to bully someone to get our way to. Maybe just it's simply to validate our own opinions. If we can just be loud about it i i I heard one guy say when it comes to preaching if your point is weak then shout loudly and beat on the pulpit and i think sometimes we do that with our discussions our arguments that if we can just be louder that somehow we'll shout down the other opinion and sometimes we simply use it to hurt someone We can use our words as as daggers, as spears, as arrows in order to wound and to hurt the other person because we ourselves feel hurt. Now, I want us to notice something. I want us to notice what James says about us getting angry and why we ought not do it. Look in uh, what he says here at the the rest of that verse in verse 20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desired. What did Jesus tell us? He said, listen, seek first my Father's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things that you seek after will be added. Seek first my Father. Seek first his righteousness. 
when we get into these disagreements, when we're starting to throw verbal grenades at one another, there's not much righteousness going on. And our desire in our homes should be to bring about a righteousness that honors God with everything that we do and with everything that we say, including the times that we might disagree. We seek often to defend ourselves, but in doing so, we damage the very relationships we say are so important to us. So what should our attitude be? Well, we don't have to guess at that. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, in your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, what's that saying? It's not necessarily saying that if you're having an argument, make sure you resolve it before you go to sleep. That's not always possible. But what it's saying is, don't just put these things in the back, just shove them in the closet, sweep them under the rug and pretend like it never happened. Listen, if there's anger, you need to deal with the anger. You need to deal with it with God, but you also need to deal with it with the other person. It's not something you just need to let hang around. Uh, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. We read this a few moments ago, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of, here's the trash that we take out. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. And instead... Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. When we hold on to the anger, when we hold on to the bitterness, then we do damage to the very relationships we say matter most. God calls us to value these relationships, to put a premium on these relationships to act in ways in our family, with our words and our actions that build others up instead of tearing others down, to speak in a way that encourages rather than eviscerates, and to be quick to forgive and slow to get ticked off. Imagine how your family would be different. These things were on display. It's not going to happen overnight. Listen, if you've got a if you're in a situation where there's contention and there's anger, it's not going to happen overnight. And you're not going to change overnight. It takes time, but it's something you can begin today. Some of you this morning live in a war zone. It's a constant war of words. How do you begin to change the environment? You don't begin by changing the environment. You begin by changing yourself. Part of our frustration is, I can't change everything. No, but you can begin by changing yourself. You can begin today to try to take some of these verses and, and begin to let those be applied in your heart and in your life and in your mind so that transformation begins to take place. You can begin by listening more and talking less by refusing to strike back I understand that sometimes the trap is set the bait looks so appetizing but you're smarter than that you're smarter than that you don't have to take the bait 
You don't have to step into the trap. You don't have to enter into this argument. And by valuing the relationship more than you value getting your own way. Valuing the other person, putting the needs of the other person ahead even of your own needs. Jesus came to save us. He did. Hallelujah for that. But he also came to change us. It's not just about the time we check out here and check into Heaven's Hotel. It's about how we live on a daily basis, interacting with those around us, complete strangers and members of our own family. And God wants to help us in that too. How does that begin? It begins by, it begins by getting the resource you need for it to take place. And the resource that you need for it to take place is the Holy Spirit of God living in you. The power and the presence of the living God in you. How does he get there? He gets there by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. God comes to live in us, and not just to take up space, but to change us, to transform us, to make us new day by day. We need that. I need that. It begins by receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and living as if he's Lord of our lives, living as if his way is higher than our way, better than our way. His way's right, and we're attuned to it more and more each day. If some of you need Jesus, then there's good news. Today, you can come and know him as Savior and Lord, and we'd, we've got people that would love to talk to you about that, love to share with you how you can come to know Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. For some of you, it's not a matter of Jesus being Savior and Lord of your life. You've already acknowledged that. Some of you just begin, you just simply need to begin to put into practice what God's speaking to you today. Maybe not all of it. Maybe there was one little thing that stuck. The Holy Spirit said, hey, this one, this one right here, that one's for you. This one over here, this, one, this one's for you. Maybe it's a little truth that you need to take with you today that can change how you respond in your family, in your homes, in your community, in your church, wherever it is that you are. Begin to practice it today. Put it into practice. You'll be amazed at how you, when you change, it seems that everything around you begins to change too. It's a beautiful thing. You need a church home. You believe God's called you to grace. We'd love to have you come be part of us. If you simply want to come and pray, some of you may have heard some things that are convicting you this morning. You just need to come and confess those to God. Whatever it is the Lord's calling you to do, this is your opportunity to respond. Praise team's going to come. We're going to pray, and praise team's going to come. They're going to lead us in a final song. And if, if you need to respond, that'll be your opportunity to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this word. Throughout Old and New Testament, through specific challenges, and also through examples that we see, both good and bad, uh, Lord, you are vitally concerned with how we relate to one another. And so, Lord, I want to pray for families right now that are struggling with that. Father, I want to pray for those husbands and wives who constantly seem to be at each other. 
There's very little peace in the home. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to that man or that woman today. That your word would penetrate deep. And that they would commit today to begin to be the one who turns down the heat. To be the one who speaks to build up rather than tear down. To be that encourager, the one who who looks to the needs of the other rather than simply looking to their own needs. Lord, I pray for those families that struggle with the relationship with their kids and parents. Father, I pray that somehow today something that you have said, some way that you have moved in a life is going to cause that parent or that teenager to begin to respond differently. To love to be quicker to forgive than to get angry. Father, I pray for those relationships, maybe not in our families. Maybe it's a, a boss-employee relationship. Maybe it's a brother-sister relationship. Maybe it's someone in this church. Maybe it's someone that they work with. What, however it is, Father, I pray that you would teach us to value relationships, to value people, to value righteousness in how we respond. Lord, for those who need Jesus, by your Spirit, call them, Lord. For those who need to come and confess, by your Spirit, call them, Lord. For those who need a church home, if grace is the place, Lord, then call them by your Spirit. And may we respond to however your Spirit leads. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.